0: Policy Genius helps you find the right life insurance coverage by comparing options from America's top insurers with help from licensed, award-winning agents. Secure your financial future with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get free life insurance quotes in just a few clicks. That's policygenius.com.
1: Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Hunting Collective. I'm Ben O'Brien, as always, but this is a brand new show in a brand new time. It's going to be weird for a while, um, because of COVID nineteen. The coronavirus has shut down major parts of our society, parts of our country, and so here we are living in a in what my friend Joe Rogan would call strange times. Uh, Strangest hell times, and and we're all going through it to some level. You know, here at Meat Eater, here at the company I work for that that hosts this, helps me host this podcast, we have a lot of employees that you know. And love that are on this show and on other shows that are quarantined at their homes, unable to come into work, unable to do the work that they do every day. Uh, this company has, has has banned us from traveling, and that's the right thing to do. Um, a lot of our live shows for, for the month of April, especially, and March are getting canceled. Uh, hopefully that we can reschedule those for all of you that wanted to come see the crew live and in color. But I think all of those are the right things to do. There is a lot of fear. A lot of uncertainty, a lot of confusion, a lot of people wanting to control things. And I think we all know how that feels. And I certainly know how that feels. So I take all of that very seriously, to say the least. And I think the measures that this this organization, this company has taken uh, and many other companies like it have taken and and that we've taken as a country on a national level are appropriate. I feel that they are appropriate, but they're also kind of scary and they change everything and they make us feel um, make us just feel different. And so maybe every morning what this show can do, because we're going to go daily until this damn thing gets normalized. We're just going to do a daily podcast. We're going to talk hunting stories. We're going to talk with great guests. We're going to have laughs. We're going to make jokes. We're going to have contests. We're going to be as normal as we can within the time you're listening to this show because everything else is going to seem crazy around you. Feel free to come here and hang out with us. We're going to have a good time. Phil, the engineer, is at home with his family. He's also uh, on quarantine and working from home. And it's going to be, uh, we'll, we'll try to check in with him, make sure we get him on the phone a couple of times this week and see what he's up to. Same with Steve Ranella, Yanni Patellas, other people within our, our group that we got to call, check up on, make sure they're good, make sure they're still having a good time wherever they may be. So that's THC Daily Quarantine Podcast. That's what you're going to hear every single morning from Monday to Friday until this freaking thing is over. We're going to go hard and we're going to make some good content. So hopefully you stick around with us. The last thing I'll say before we get into our guest today is let's use this time to come together. Let's use this time to understand what binds us, not what drives us apart. There's some in the media, there's some out there on social media as well that would like to tell you that, that this is a time to point fingers. This is a time to blame. This is a time to retreat into your ideological corners. I don't believe it's that time at all. I'm going to focus on my community, my family, the people around me, the people I love, and the people that I can affect. And I'm going to do that with as much positivity, and sensibility, and pragmatism as I possibly can. You know, it's good. It's hard, as I said. It's confusing. It feels like there's just a danger in the air. It just everything just feels different. Um, but. If we all with hunker down, do what we need to do, have a good time on this podcast, it'll be over as soon as we know it. We'll be back to turkey season. We'll be back to picking morels. We'll be back to doing the things that we love to do. And luckily, going outside is probably not going to be uh, something that they ban ever. <laughs> so hunting is the way to go. All right. This episode, my buddy sam soho you've heard him he's the public land bus guy i've known him for years He's one of my best friends on the earth we're gonna tell hunting stories we're gonna talk shit. we're gonna ta- tell you about the time we went to british columbia with joe rogan we ate raw heart we we watched joe chase moose <laughs> on uh, by his simply his feet trying to run towards a moose i had just killed and a bunch of other things we shot a cover for a magazine it was a hell of a time we got drunk on spiced rum What a great time in British Columbia. Enjoy that story with my buddy, Sam Soho, right now.
2: What's up, Samuel? You know, not a whole lot. Just, you know, enjoying uh, a cup of coffee on a Sunday morning.
1: Well, welcome to uh, first ever THC Quarantine Daily. A, po- a podcast I
2: mean, I'm, excited. I'm excited I get to be the one that kicks it off
1: you're the kid you're the one that kicks it off and uh this is where I'm just stuck in the podcast studio alone because Phil's at home with his family I'm stuck <laughs> here just I'm just gonna podcast like a telethon for the next how however long it takes however long are it you takes. raising
2: money for anything or are you just no. talking
1: no uh no I don't <laughs> I'm just buying my own white claw and that's it <laughs> <laughs> and so here I'll open I already told you I was drinking one I'm gonna have a second mm-hmm. have a second one oh yeah <laughs> i you know everybody i feel like everybody at this point in time has got to be feeling a little bit of anxiety um oh yeah even as confident as a person i am like if i get sick and i go oh well um i still feel like the just the level of insecurity and anxiety is at, at a peak where are you at with that
2: yeah no i'm i'm right in the same boat like I, uh, like every year this time, this time of year, like when the seasons change, I typically get like a pretty decent chest cold. Like it just happens. I know it's coming at some point. Um, and, uh, so that started on Tuesday, like I started to get a cold and I was like, oh man, like I've got travel plans and stuff. Like, I'm not really worried about me, but like, if I get on a plane and cough, I'm worried like people are going to like point a finger at me and like push me out of the way or something <laughs> it's just a weird I, like you just start to think about stuff irrationally
1: yeah it's a weird time and has as like i said it's, as mr rogan says who we'll speak about here in a moment um yep at our first meeting of that of that fella. as he said mm-hmm. strange times it's just strange times uh my wife and i and son sons Went to Barnes and Noble last night to get some puzzles and games and books and such, and it was just like a vibe, a weird people around. You know, like people were just like taking a wide berth, and like especially I think little kids, um, mm-hmm. where normally people would be like, "Oh, a little kid, I'll give him a high five, and, and just you just tell, it <laughs> tells. So it's it's it is the weirdest of times. Um, but as I said earlier, as long for you and I. As long as it doesn't impede our turkey season, which it probably won't. That's right. Because we can just go outside.
2: Yeah, it shouldn't. And mostly because we'll be driving everywhere um, for turkey season, which helps.
1: That's true. Yeah, I canceled my Texas trip, which is a sad, sad moment Mm -hmm. for me. But I had to do it. Um, yep. so now I'm thinking of all, I'm going to, I'm coming to your, if you're in the West, I'm coming to your state to turkey hunt. <laughs> I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not just staying in Montana, I'm spreading <laughs> spreading it out. I have to.
2: Well, yeah, the nice thing about being in Montana is if you wanted to, you could kill whatever, five birds there without, yeah. you know, Yep. without leaving.
1: I figured, you know, my 10 bird goal, which I'll, i I've kind of resigned to always having and maybe never achieving. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like Charles Barkley trying to get an NBA title. So he's just not going to – I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to keep saying it, but it's it's probably yep. never going to happen. Um, I figure if I could get five in Montana, if I could get uh, one in South Dakota, two in Nebraska, two in Oregon, I got ten right there.
2: Yeah, that's true.
1: So I numbers-wise, it's a piece of cake. Yeah,
2: yeah on paper. <laughs> on no paper.
1: It's a piece of cake, and that's it. Um, yeah. All right. Well, you know what we should talk about before we get into anything else? One, Well, two things we got to talk about. One, the public land van. You just got this thing. You were just in town. We hung out a little bit. Mm-hmm. You got this thing wrapped. First, we should say, just in case no one knows what, who Sam is, uh, you should say like who you are, what you did with the bus, and then what's going on with the van.
2: Yeah, so – Uh, I've been on the podcast before, but I'm Sam Zolholtz. I've been uh, kind of a major public land advocate over the last few years, uh, and that included turning an old-school bus into my rolling hunting shack and using it as a billboard to raise awareness about public land issues. And uh, over the last six months, I have kind of transitioned from the bus into something a little bit more mobile, which is a 15-passenger Chevy Express van, which has been converted to four-wheel drive. And, uh, we, yeah, we just had it out in Bozeman and got the exterior wrapped, um, kind of same color scheme as the bus, uh, just a little bit different lines. And the next step is to, uh, do the interior build out and then, um, obviously more accessories and stuff on the exterior, but basically creating a mini version of the public land bus and using it as the public land van.
1: Public land van. Yeah. We hunted out of the public land van when it was more just like, we did just like a van at that point
2: yeah no uh, yeah right you were and you were the you were the first uh guest in oh. the van so it still yeah it still had all the carpet and the paneling and everything inside so
1: yeah we was, both uh, slept yeah, in, at 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 least point, i slept it, on the ground it he, dri-
2: yeah it was four-wheel drive but that's about it
1: well i'm looking forward to all the crazy things you're going to do to it and then um what other plans with the van anything else
2: just, uh, yeah, just getting the build-out done and then um, kind of using that to spend time on public land and document all the adventures and uh, continue to raise awareness and raise dollars for conservation and public land protection.
1: Well, here's something. We both attended a rally for when uh, you were here, for the Land and Water Conservation mm-hmm. Fund. And I said for THC Quarantine Daily, we were just going just gonna to not – we're not going to get political or controversial. We're just going to have a good time. But mm-hmm. I feel like th- – I feel like the Land Water Conservation Fund, as it is now, and the bill that's going around S three four two two, aren't political. We should just—it's—it's it's nothing to get upset about. <laughs> this is something no, we no, should all I, gather around, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. I think it's something that everybody needs to needs to hear about too, if if they aren't haven't already. I mean, it's a pretty pretty amazing bill that's that's going to be rolling through the Senate here.
1: Okay, well, I'll, I'll uh, I can handle the bill. You tell people Land and Water Conservation Fund. What the hell is that thing?
2: Sure. So, Land and Water Conservation Fund was uh, started in 1964, and it was basically it's a royalty fund, uh, or it's a fund that's generated primarily based off the royalties of offshore oil exploration. So it um, basically they thought um, you know because we're extracting one resource. We want to invest some of that money back into protecting other resources. And so they passed into law that each year the land and water conservation fund could be funded up to $900 million a year. And then that money goes to the entire nation and used for things like fishing access points, hunting access, but above and beyond that, uh, ball fields, parks, soccer fields. I mean, like you name it. There's um, the cool thing about the LWCF is every single county in the nation has benefited from those dollars coming out of that fund.
1: Yeah, it's kind of it's such a bi, it's bipartisan even in its idea, right? The idea that mm-hmm. if you lean left and you and you really don't you're against extraction or against um mining and and those types of things, fracking all all that. Let's say you lean that way. Well, this is taking this is making sure that even though we're doing these things offshore, we're taking that money and plugging it back into our system. Uh, we're plugging exactly. it back to into our communities to make our communities better. Say you lean the other way. Say you lean right and you're into this stuff. Well, this this is one way to, to, to go back and justify what's going on with these offshore oil rigs and offshore oil drilling. To say like the, the the royalties here are being passed back to the American people. So either way you lean, we I can paint this as a positive for, for the way you approach These issues. Um, And so this thing uh, hasn't really ever been funded as it is. So explain to people how kind of how funding might work and uh, the the fact that this thing has only once, I believe, ever been fully funded.
2: Yeah, yeah. So uh, like I said before, it can be funded up to 900 million a year. But I'm pretty sure that has only happened once, yeah, maybe once. twice in, in the last 56 years. I think once. So it was like
1: 1998, maybe, something like that. I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, but yes. I think
2: it was once is what they said at the rally. Yep. So, um, yeah, so it's only been funded once, which basically is, it, you know, it leaves a lot of people in limbo when you don't know exactly how much money is going to be coming from the fund each year. Um, and so, you know, about a month ago, uh, they had proposed to cut that even more you know, up to ninety-seven percent, and so the LWCF would have only been funded roughly fifteen million a year instead of the nine hundred million that it could be funded. And then, obviously, I'll let you take it over about what S thirty-four twenty-two does, um, which was yeah. a complete one-eighty for the administration. Yeah, um, in a good way.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, when we here at Media reported that Trump, President Donald Trump, if you're not when I say Trump, if you're not aware who I'm talking about, uh, <laughs> President. Donald J. Trump is it J. Trump? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Tweeted support of the LWCF. You know, number one, it's nice mm-hmm. to see the president of the United States acknowledging things that we care deeply about. Number one, like that alignment is is wonderful. Um, at this point, you know, the thing to fight for for the LWCF is that full funding that you mentioned, right? So. A bunch of senators, bipartisan, showing this bipartisan solidarity that that you rarely see. Senators Manchin from West Virginia, Gardner from Colorado, Warner from Virginia. Those folks are all um, Democrat, Republican, Democrat. Danes from Montana, here in Montana. Heinrich from New Mexico and Portman from uh, Ohio introduced this Great American Outdoors Act, which is is more beautifully known as S-3422. And that's that's something you should all remember. And S-3422. To it does some things, but it's simply, when it in terms of the LWCF, it would it would fully fund through 2025 the fiscal year 2025, nine hundred million dollars annually for that LWCF. It would appropriate all nine hundred million dollars of that to what we just talked about: to parks, to to ball fields, to fishing access sites, to hunting easements, to all the things that that we know and love from just a. From a hunting angling level, but also just to our personal lives. My kid plays in a park in Bozeman called the Dinosaur Park that was funded by the LWCF. So it it stretches well across. But I would think even just as big, this is another thing that this does that's been a huge issue for conservation and public lands for a long time. It provides one point nine million billion dollars, one point nine billion dollars annually through twenty twenty five to address This uh, backlog, this maintenance backlog that's happening in our national parks, through the U.S. Forest Service and our public lands and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, the BLM on state lands. There's just a maintenance backlog, and you're talking about falling down buildings, uh, restrooms, roads, trails, everything that needs repaired. There's been this huge backlog and been one of the things I've talked about with the folks at BHA a lot uh, in our, our meetings and conversations. And so that's mm-hmm. what S forty S four two two would would essentially provide roughly I mean two point eight billion dollars for conservation. That's what it would do. It's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. It's pretty amazing yeah. to see that dollar amount on a an annual basis, fiscally put into to conservation, and to see Republicans and Democrats all cheering for it. Right. Um, And you posted a lot of things about what what can people do to support this bill?
2: Yeah, so there's a couple different things. Um, You know, if you go to the BHA website, obviously they have links where you can email your senators directly. Uh, If you don't want to go through the anguish of looking up a link, you can dial. I'll just look it up right here. Um, You can actually call directly the U.S. Senate at 202-224-3121. And it uh, takes you to basically an operator, and then you can ask to talk to your state senator, and you can leave a message and just basically encourage your senators to vote yes on Senate Bill 3422.
1: Give me that number again. Um, Give me that number again.
2: Yeah. Two, yeah 202-224-3121. Two
1: one. All right. When we get off the phone with you, since I'm going to be locked in here, I'm going to call that number. And, I'm, yep. I'm, and yep. while we're recording, we're going to leave a message.
2: Yep. and it's and it's super easy. I mean, it's uh yeah, it's, it's I I called last week and left uh messages for my senators and just made sure that they knew, you know, how I felt about the issue and just wanted them to vote yes. It's it's simple. I mean, typically you're not going to end up talking directly to your senator. You're going to talk to an aide or or some, you know, a secretary. Um but yeah, it's it's still they they keep track of all of those calls and they know that when, you know, for every person that either sends an email or makes a phone call, you know, there's another thousand of us out there that are thinking the same thing.
1: Yeah. And we feel like from a, from just a block and tackling level, will this thing get passed? It feels really good. It's got the bipartisan support from a number of senators. It only needs, I think, six more senators to sign on for for it to get pushed through, you know, relatively unchallenged. Um, It seems like the, the president will sign it with no problem at all, much like the public lands package we discussed on this podcast. You know, last year, um, this seems like something that could fly through the House and the Senate.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, and to be perfectly honest, like it's, I feel like both sides could really use a win. At you know, at the moment, yeah, so, yeah, and this this is certainly a win.
1: Yeah, and we're only in a good spot for our community when we when we become the win for politicians. When we have spoken up enough and and gotten behind something that is uniquely American to the point where we are seen as something that, you know, the things we care about, um, allow politicians from both sides of the aisle to coalesce. Um uh, it's, it's, I think that's a bigger thing than most of us could ever understand. It's huge. It's huge for yeah. conservation. It's huge for public lands. I hope it stays this way forever, but I, but you and I, and everyone else that thinks like us are going to continue to push, push and push and push and push because that's the only way it will stay that way. You know, it's the only right. way exactly. that we're going to get what yep. we want. If if we call these senators, we call our congressmen, and we tell them this is what we want, go do it for us.
2: Yeah, you know, and I was having a conversation with somebody about it um, a couple of days ago, and just the just the fact that the you know, if this all goes through and the nine hundred million dollars for the LWCF is is funded fully, like the amount of other dollars that can be leveraged off of knowing that that full amount is going to be there i mean it it really doubles or triples or quadruples the amount of conservation dollars that go back into it from matched funds from other organizations state dollars you know different avenues that that people will match for certain projects
1: yeah yeah it's it's these things have have a way of becoming a groundswell and also just just for all of us you know even in a political spirit a point to this thing is like this is you know along with this this really reminds you of of Pittman Robertson Dingle Johnson those type of things like we are taking the funds these the funds that we're collecting and we are driving them to a local level and doing good for conservation um it's a very similar concept and one that's worked well with both both these legislations for for decades and so mm-hmm. um we have right now 56 centers i just wanted to look that up 56 centers which is a, more, a majority of the US Senate um, on this bill. And so we need to convince the rest of them so we don't have to have, way we don't have to worry about, we do not have to worry about this going through one way or the other.
2: No, no. Uh,
1: and so we'll leave that behind. Just while you're, you're quarantined or while you're sitting around, this is something to think about. <laughs> it's all positive. Yep. As I said before, no matter how you, what you think um, about, you know, public lands or what you think about politics. This is something that we can all come together around. And this is a great time to come together around anything. Uh, and so look look up that. And we'll, at some point later in uh, THC daily quarantine, I probably won't call today. I now I realize it's Sunday. Um, nobody's going to be there. <laughs> I do we'll Maybe call tomorrow. Uh, but we're going to call that number. We're going to leave a message here on the show. And we're going to see who we can talk to. Um, and see how far we get, but I, I would encourage every everybody to take a few minutes to do the same thing. All right, now, now Sam, I, have we? I think we've probably talked about while re- recording a podcast the story we're about to tell. I can't you imagine know, I we think, haven't covered. I think we
2: have most. We've of it. covered it, but but I think it's been very like briefly. It's piecemeal. I don't, I don't think. Yeah.
1: Yeah, we covered a little bit of this. We laughed about it in the context of other conversations. We've never really sat down and just straight up told the whole story. And we didn't we didn't like confer on this beforehand. Uh we I I'd be interested to see how we remember it. If we remember it the same if we remember it the same way. Or based on that, what was that spice rum we were drinking? What? Uh, are, spice box. Spice box. <laughs> so based on the how much Point. spice box we consumed, whether even we remember parts of it at all. Uh <laughs> Yeah, so I want to start kind of at the end. Um, cause, okay. Because I watch a show called This Is Us, if anybody watched that show. Uh, it makes me cry all the time. But they bounce around in time. So that's what we're going to do okay. as, we, as we tell these hunting stories on the THC Daily Quarantine podcast. I want to start with the moment that you looked up out of the truck. I think you were probably in the truck. You might have been, gotten out at this point. You looked up and you saw a famous comedian... Host of Fear Factor podcaster Joe Rogan, running down a muddy road in British Columbia <laughs> with his Sitka yep. jacket flapping in the breeze as yep. he sprinted so, toward a freshly fallen <laughs> freshly fallen uh, bull moose.
2: <laughs> so in preparation for this podcast, I, uh, I pulled up the the original um, like I went back and found an old hard drive that I have all these photos on. And I pulled up all whatever 2,500 photos that I shot that week, and uh, that was one of the first ones I was looking for. Was when <laughs> Rogan was literally sprinting down the road. Yep, there it is, right there.
1: Yeah, um, I remember. Yeah, it's, I it's, remember it. that image it burned in my brain. I just remember like his <laughs> jacket is flapping in the breeze, and he's sprinting down this road.
2: Yeah, and when when this podcast airs, I'm not sure when you're posting it, but I will. Uh, I will re-edit this photo and post it and push people that way so they can hear the rest of the story. But yeah, uh, I'll probably bother you to. Yeah.
1: we're going to post it tomorrow morning, Monday. So you're listening okay. to this on Monday. Yep. I will post. Uh, I will bother you for some some select images from this hunt. We'll share them up on my yeah, social too, because sure. um, you yep. just need to see some of the things that happened on this. Hunt. But anyway, you're from your perspective. You you look up, and there goes Joe sprinting. I mean, that the moose is maybe 200 yards from our position at this point. Mm-hmm.
2: But there goes Joe. <laughs> he's, he's, it just, it was, I'm glad I at least captured one image of it because uh, at this point, like we were, uh, you know, it's towards the end of the hunt, and so we're driving down the road, end up spotting two moose. I'm in the back seat. Joe's in the back seat uh, next to me. You're in the front seat. We all stop. Everyone bails out of the truck. Um, you shoot the moose, and then like literally the next thing is Joe you know, is sprinting down the road. Yeah, <laughs>
1: yes. Yeah. So from my from my angle, like we these two moose r- run across the way ahead of us. They get up in to our right. You know, this is like a a, a logging road in the middle of you know central British Columbia, and w- it's it's at this point it's been a relatively tough hunt. It hasn't been what we expected, but when we look mm-hmm. up and see two bull moose. And at this point in my life, I hadn't laid eyes on that many moose. Um, yeah. Especially, you know, decently mature bull moose as these two were. I, it was a shock of all shocks. Our guide, Mike Hockridge slams on the brakes. I jump out. I'm up down the bar ditch, up the other side. I'm tracking these bulls. They kind of stop out in this meadow. Sorry, I'm burping the white claw. Uh, they stop out in this meadow. And I had a, I remember I had a, um, oh man, I'm forgetting, a straight pull action rifle. Um, I'll think of a blazer straight pull action yep. rifle. And that means the action pulls straight back, ejects the cartridge, and, or ejects the the case, and then you push it straight back in. So, man, you can get rolling with this thing. So I'm up fully, I'm, I'm at a standing position. These two moves stop at like a couple hundred yards, and I shoot, hit it in the shoulder, rack another round in, and almost instantly shoot, hit it in the shoulder again, rack another round in. It's still kind of up. I shoot again, hit it somewhere high in the shoulder the third time. It falls down and by the time I'm able to eject the third case and look down the road toward where the bull was had fallen, <laughs> there is Joe Rogan who has jumped out of the truck and is now running down the road toward... Toward this moose,
2: (laughs) and I think later, like we were like going through images, and he's like, "I don't know what happened. I just like, I guess I'm running."
1: Yeah, it's like (laughs) I I just started. I I started running. Uh, So, what from your point of view, what happened next?
2: So, uh, Joe sprints down the road, and then you and I and Mike hop back in the truck and basically just rode up to catch up with Joe. And obviously, your moose was down, not too far off the road. And so, so we, uh, we ripped down the road, but it was kind of later in the afternoon. And since we were so close to the moose, we opted to rather than quarter, like skin it, quarter it out, do all that stuff. We took a few photos and then we cut the moose in half. And then all four of us put, like, loaded it in the pickup and we were on the way back to camp.
1: <laughs> Let me, I have a video of me asking Joe to describe this. Okay, tell the story of Ben and Brian's Moose, and I'm going to give you 30 seconds. Go. Okay.
3: We were having a good time, laughing, joking. All of a sudden, Mike goes, holy shit, two bulls. We stopped the truck. You jump out. Within 10 seconds, the first shot goes off. <laughs> Boom. Boom. The Boom. moose drops. <laughs> I, I don't know. I might have yelled, shoot him again or something. Who knows what happened. The moose dropped. You've got this, this crazy gun, so you're unloaded. Bang. Bang. You hit him about... Th- at least three times. You shot about four shots, and then I don't even realize I'm running. I'm halfway <laughs> to the bull. It's down. It's kicking. And I'm halfway there, and I'm like, I guess I'm running. So I just keep running. And so I get there. I don't know why. I, was, I guess I wanted to be there when it died. I don't know why. So I get there, and this enormous fucking horse on steroids is lying there with two saloon <laughs> doors growing out of the side of his fucking head. And we, we, we get there, we we gut it. We take the organs out that we want. We saw it in half. We pick the pieces up. Throw it in the back of the truck. Close the tailgate. We're back home in an hour and twenty minutes. <laughs>
1: that that description was in the middle of our spice box uh, uh-huh. experiment. <laughs> I can oh, watch that perfect. video forever. I don't know how to get that video. I only have that video on Facebook. I don't know how to get that off of Facebook. If I can, I'll post that too. Uh (laughs) I'll have somebody figure it
0: out. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. for all things auto, do it yourself, and you can find what you need in store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today, or visit us at o'reillyauto.com/meat eater. That's o'reillyauto.com/meat eater. Hey guys, turkey season is in full swing right now, and if you are planning on getting after it, make sure to pick up some Meat Eater Phelps turkey calls to stuff into the old turkey vest or into your fanny pack right now i carry a few different things i like to use mouth calls and i like to use pot calls mouth calls or diaphragms i like them because it gives you hand-free calling meaning when you're working a bird up close you can have your gun on your knee finger on the trigger ready to roll and still be making turkey sounds i like pot calls because i just like pot calls i enjoy calling with a pot call Whatever direction you go, including a box call, which I don't personally use too much, but they're fun and great, and I started out with them. Yanni, on the other hand, one of my main turkey hunting buddies, he loves box calls. And what's funny is I'll now and then look to him and give him the look that means get out your box call and find us a turkey. So it's not that I don't like him. i just have Yanni use his, then I'll have to carry it. Go to Phelps Game Calls. Get calls that are made in the USA and get calls that'll get get them close. Find yours at PhelpsGameCalls.com today.
1: Uh, but yeah, we this is the last the day, I think the day before we leave. Um and this is we have just essentially a day left to hunt. And mm-hmm. I we had not seen a branch antlered bull moose uh at all before this. And so, yeah, we get up to it. It's, It has died kind of in a weird spot off the road. And we feel like we can just back the truck up to it, cut it in half, and all three of us, four of us, could lift this moose into the back of my cockroaches. <laughs> you know, and shitty even that pickup. was
2: a struggle. Like, I just, do you remember, like, when we were gutting that thing, do you remember how big, like, so those two bulls were standing basically in a, In an old clear cut. And so it was like half growth pine. Yeah. And they were eating the tops off of all of those pine trees. And I don't know if you remember how big the stomach was in that thing when we pulled it out.
1: Oh, yeah. But it
2: was like, it was like an extra large physio ball full of those pine needle tops or pine tree tops. It was insane. Like I'll never forget
1: that. I'll never No, And I remember pulling the organs out and just being, you know. And for me, I had never. I don't know if you at that point had ever killed a moose, but I'd never shot a moose. No, I did not. And no. I had I had been traveled around and killed a lot of big game animals at that point. Even then, it's five five years ago. According to this Facebook post I was just looking at, five years ago. Um, had to be more than that. Six years ago now. Yep. And six years ago. Six 2014. Years ago. Yep. And so at this point, I never, I, so I was, and we're talking a central, central uh, Canada or central British Columbia mood. We're not talking a Yukon moose here. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is a totally different animal. But even, even then to me, this is a giant, a giant, giant bull. And I just, I just remember being, as, as you can hear from Joe's voice, we were all just kind of like, that just happened. That happened. <laughs> and even on the ride back, I remember just being like, "That ha- did we have two halves of a moose in the back of the truck? <laughs> <laughs> it was one of those things that it had gone by that quickly. And that was kind of, yep. I think we could just keep going because then we'll get to exactly how this all came to be here soon. But So we get back in the truck. As Joe said there, um, thanks, Joe, for joining the podcast. I uh, guess <laughs> your will. Um, an, an hour and 20 minutes. We're back home, back to the to the little house we're staying on this little homestead with Mike Hawker, who's our guide. Um, and we it was like a party; we just erupted. Because I think that hunt, I don't know if, if you can agree with this, it's like one of the better dynamic group dynamics I've ever been a part of. Like it was we had a good damn time. Like
2: we just, yeah, we had, we had a blast.
1: we laughed the whole time. I mean,
2: the majority of the hunt, you know, like it was, it was November. And so it was, uh, you know, kind of like post rut. Yeah. And worst like so post, post like we, we, we were rut. we were covering a lot of ground. And so we were doing a lot of just driving from cut block to cut block to cut block, just glassing and calling and looking. And I mean, we, I, we covered, it was basically, we spent a week in the truck together, like just getting no, getting to know each other, which was awesome.
1: Yeah, I mean at, at that point it's 2014 and and you know Joe Rogan is a known entity, he's a celebrity, but he's not he wasn't where he is now. Um no. We talked yeah, a lot true. about podcasting. In fact, this trip was one of the trips where um as you'll remember, Joe kept convincing me to try, to start a podcast. Like you should start a podcast. You're funny. You could do it. You should start a podcast. I'll help you. I'll help you. And mm-hmm. uh by the time this thing was over i was fully convinced i was going to start a podcast like i told my girlfriend at the time now wife i was going to do it um and then never did it <laughs> to the, to This <laughs> didn't do it for years i mean this is worth two years that's four years of time where i could have been doing this that i you know with, with that man's support that like i just wasn't doing it so it's a you know professionally probably probably a time where i screwed it up big time uh, <laughs> But THC wouldn't be what it is today anyway. But yes, so we get back to this little lodge. There's uh, an assistant guide. If you remember his name, I don't. Um, what was his name? Uh, Travis. Travis. Travis yep. was there. He,
2: he also liked to go by Joe Dirt.
1: Joe Dirt. And boy, does he look like Joe Dirt too. Uh-huh. I, I, if you ever listen yep. to this, I would love you, buddy. But boy, he looks just <laughs> like Joe Dirt. Uh, <laughs> kind of acts like him too in a little way. Sweet dude. Nice, <laughs> nice guy. Um, and then... I think some of Mike Hawkage's his wife and kids were there at some level. And, but it became, it immediately became, I think because we had such a great time, we had this like furious end, this like really, we had really wanted success. A lot riding on this hunt for me and for you and for, I guess, for everybody. Um, we mm-hmm. all, we all loved each other, cared about each other. We had a great time and we just let it loose when we got back. <laughs>
2: yeah, we did indeed.
1: <laughs> um in the way that Joe had, we had the moose heart. Joe chops the moose heart up, um, starts cooking it. Starts chops the liver up, starts cooking it, and at, and we break out this bottle of spice box. Was it rum or was it something else?
2: No, it was a rum. It was yep. rum.
1: I just remember the taste. I found it was like this tastes like turpentine. This is <laughs> the most awful trash gut rum that <laughs> ever ever be made. Like it just was just just awful um, but we proceeded to drink i don't know how many bottles of it enough to uh,
2: it was a lot
1: yeah enough to fully black out to the point where i was trying to remember i remember later on trying to remember everything that happened to write you know i was writing an article at the time i worked for Pigeon and sunny magazine so to write this article and i felt like i had to start the article at this moment this like celebratory moment because the idea of Behind the article was tracing this all the way back. Stephen um introduced Joe Rogan to hunting. Stephen Rinala introduced Joe Rogan to me when I asked him, "Like, hey, do you know any celebrity type guys that like hunt and just do it for the meat?" And he he brought up the Fear Factor guy. And I was like, "Oh crap!" Um, <laughs> so we'll get to how that all went down soon, but. Um, you know, it's funny. I just looked over in the podcast studio and there's a picture of me and Joe with that moose, <laughs> right? Right to the, yep, right I've to my right on the wall. Yeah. Right yep. to my right. They ask us like, send us, send in a gripping grin that you think is cool. And I did. And they put it on the wall. Um, anyhow, when I'm sitting, when I'm trying to write this article later, uh, we had, we had drank so much that I, there's so much of that I couldn't remember. I was like, I've blacked out for like the most, <laughs> as a journalist, you don't really want to black out during. Um, parts of your story, it's frowned upon. <laughs> so from that night, you have any? I just remember there being. I remember there being a beaver at some point. Yeah,
2: dude, I was. I was going to bring that up. Like all of a sudden, that like somebody like just walks back through the door. But this isn't just any beaver. It's <laughs> it's like the I biggest mean, beaver, right? It was giant. Yeah, I have no idea how many pounds that thing was, but it was. I mean, it had to be close to four feet long. Yeah,
1: it was. I just remember Mike Hawker, which is our yeah. guide, and we'll kind of describe the kind of guy he is here coming up. But he, he he comes walking in the door and just like plops a fucking beaver on the ground, and the beaver <laughs> like it's sitting up like it would was alive, and it's it's two three feet tall. It's the biggest it, beaver I've ever seen. Yeah, and, I'm, and we're yeah. in a, like a drunken haze. We're laughing. We're joking. I'm filming that video we just heard from Joe. We're eating moose heart. We're eating moose liver we're just having we're laughing I just remember like it was some of the best some of the best time uh, one of the yeah. best like post hunt experiences I ever had um, and so I'll, I just want to read I wrote this story I'll also post a link to this story um, it was published on April 10th 2015 uh, for Peterson's Hunting in their magazine their website and we'll get to to exactly how that came to be but I, I said this I said he sat across this is the beginning of the story he sat across from the table from me, tall in his chair, looking satisfied, seemingly unable to remove the triumph from his face. It was Joe Rogan's expression. It wasn't just Joe Rogan's expression that read a victory, though. It was his whole demeanor. For a man who's part comedian, part fighter, it was a damn good time to be the former, to sit back with his fellow hunters and enjoy, or better yet, revel. Rogan's plate was overflowing with wild organs. Thick, juicy slices of fresh moose heart sat steaming beside that same animal's liver, smothered in grilled onions. Beyond that, beyond this first plate of wild protein, there was so much more. And the stand-up comedian, actor, martial artist, UFC commentator, and podcaster would be enjoying it all. Though Rogan has spent some of his time in Hollywood, there'd be no private chefs to prepare his backstraps. He hunts, kills, butchers, and eats his own meat, joining thousands of other converts in a movement that cannot be ignored. Eat what you kill is its mantra, and its front man is the dude sitting in front of me, devouring a bloody moose heart. Anyway, that was the beginning of the story, and this whole thing—the beginning of this whole thing—Sam was around. Funny enough, I sit here now working for Steve Rennella at a company called Meat Eater, um, and at this this moment, we're kind of celebrating an "Eat What You Kill" movement, and that's kind of what this mm-hmm. what brought us all to. British Columbia, or at least, you know, kind of what was the reason why I wanted to go there and why we hired you to come and shoot photos and then why we called Mike Hawkridge and Joe Rogan. We wanted to kind of make a statement about this movement that was was coming up six years ago, really, I think probably started by Steve Rinella and adopted by so many people, including Joe. Um, and so it's a good time to kind of go back to how this all began. Uh, you and I didn't really know each other prior to this hunt, right? We had never met.
2: No, no, we had never met. Um, I was actually thinking about Hall that went down. And uh, so um, it was like early in October that same year, I was out in uh, West Virginia on a photo shoot for Remington Firearms uh, at one of their new product seminars. And I had met Mike Scobie out there, and um, he was at that time the editor of Peterson's. And so then I had sent him my whatever portfolio at the time that i had and uh that's how him and i met and then that's how he introduced me or like you know you to me and that's like we had a whatever little conference call and uh you guys were like hey can you be in british columbia like uh like next week (laughs) 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 yep (laughs) so yeah um yeah that's kind of all that went down and
1: for me i'm just you know i'm working at peasants hunting as a you know, managing editor or whatever, second in command to a guy named Mike Scobie, who you and I both know to be a legend in, in our own mind, and, and probably his own mind, and our minds too. Um, a, a just a great dude. And and we're, Peterson's Hunting Magazine is, is I think, the largest hunting-only publication that is in this country as far as subscribership goes. So it's, it's for me as a hunter, somebody, a, a journalism student and a hunter, I've arrived at a place in my life where I'm working... As in it, like getting paid to go hunting, write about it, produce a magazine for everyone. I like my fellow hunters, and at this point, I think like I've made it. This is it, and I think during that time of my career, this was the culmination of all the work I'd done to that point. And I wanted to. I we had written the year before. Um, we had done a, a "Eat What You Kill" cover um, that had a. It just said, eat what you kill on it, and it had a knife that our, our mutual friend Lee Chose shot for us. It had a knife with a backstrap on it and a bunch of blood on this hand. And it was it was seen as kinda of a little bit controversial, but also a way of kind of like pushing pushing our community to think about things differently. I was proud of that cover. I know Mike Scobie was proud of it too. And so we wanted to follow that up with something even more jarring, even maybe more different and um probably not controversial is not the right word, but, uh, um, you know, more diverge from what you normally see, like a big buck on every, every hunting magazine cover. So that was where we were trying to, we we're trying to figure out how to follow up this, this cover. And I, I just said, uh, and at this point I had talked to Ranella the year before, when I was writing the article for the, the original eat what you kill, um, cover on Peterson's. And he had pointed me towards Joe Rogan and, I interviewed him for that story. He only made a little sidebar because the interview was uh, was like three hours long. <laughs> 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 I just called him right He's like, call Joe Rogan. And I was like, you mean the Fear Factor guy? Uh, well, huh? And so I called him. And just as you can imagine now in his podcast fame, we talked, I don't know how long we talked for, three hours. We talked about wolves in World War II. We talked about everything you could possibly think of. And I ended up writing a sidebar on the subject for this article in Pearson's hunting. (laughs) (laughs) And so I felt like at the time, I felt like, well, I didn't really get all that. But we had also, he had also talked about wanting to go do more hunts. And I said, man, well, we should go hunting. And so when this idea for the second cover came around, I was like, well, it's got to be Joe Rogan. And we got to take him to do something where he can get the most meat out of one single trip. And so then the idea came up, moose. Like, that's a, the mm-hmm. perfect way to go. Um, and so I called Joe, asked him, said, hey, man, you want to go hunt moose, British Columbia? He said, hell yeah. You tell me when, and I'll try to make it happen. So we were like, well, we got to go. It was I think that was in late October. So we had a couple of weeks. Got a, got on the horn with Mike Hawkridge, who I knew from a, a mutual friend who's up in Quinnell, British Columbia, who runs an outfitting service up there. And uh, gave him a call. He's like, yeah, dude, I'd love to. I'm a huge UFC fan. I would love to have Joe Rogan come up here. I would do anything to make that happen. Um, here's some dates. You guys can come. We called Joe. He miraculously was available those dates. And then we were like, holy shit, now we got to have somebody <laughs> photograph this thing. <laughs> we kind of work backwards. And so we're like, and, and Scobie says, hey, man, I know this. I met this, this, this guy, this young kid. At a, I'm like, well, he's just my age, both kids. <laughs> 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 I met this young kid at, a, at an event. He'd be perfect for this, and we called you, and it was like, boom, you were there. And and knowing how this all came together afterwards, like when we're eating this moose heart, how good it felt, like all this stuff seems serendipitous in a way for this for this trip because I didn't know you. I didn't mm-hmm. know Joe other than than the interactions I just described, and I didn't know Mike Hawkridge other than the interactions I just described. So it's literally four people coming to, to shoot what I felt at the time was a very important cover for hunting and for our magazine and just for just for my career. Um, for you, the same thing, you know, as an up-and-coming photographer to get a chance to shoot a cover, number one, but a cover of Joe Rogan, number two. Um, and and for, for Mike Hockridge, for his guiding service, to be able to, to be a part of that. So we're all coming together for a very important thing. Um, and it turned out to be legendary. And it could have gone so many, we could have got there and Joe could have been, you know, a dick or Mike could have just not had it set up right. Or, or I could have, you know, been awful or whatever, anything could have gone wrong, but man, it didn't go wrong. And the things that did go yeah, wrong no, are just kind of swept under the yeah, rug.
2: I feel, I feel like we just got super lucky with that whole trip. And just like, like you said, just how it all came together. And like, I'm going back through photos right now. And like, as we're talking and just kind of like remembering the trip. And man, I was a horrible photographer at the time you guys (laughs) hired me. (laughs) (laughs) I, I mean, I was, I was truly like just up and coming. Like I was really just getting my feet wet. And so, you know, fortunately I was able to shoot a photo good enough for that cover. And, uh, you know, I think it's one of my, you know, definitely one of my favorite shots I've ever taken, but, um, just looking at some of the other stuff that I shot during the trip, it's like, I, you know, like. Uh, we've all come a long ways yeah then.
1: it's like one of those it, it's also one of those trips right that was the start of a lot of things you know the start of my finding my way here um, the start of you finding your way to where you are um, mm-hmm. I, I think because like you said I mean we were I was a, a I was just a writer for a magazine at that point I hadn't nobody knew who I was and and I didn't intend for anybody to other than in the context of I wrote for this magazine I wanted it to be good um, you know, and Joe Rogan had had was talking to us the entire trip about this podcast that he had and how he thought it was doing really good and and it was just an amazing thing and he was just kind of him and his buddies at that point, um, and how millions of people were listening to it and I I never even at that moment would never would have realized what it is today, um, and where we all are today after this the whole thing went down so it's just a weird coalescence of all these things um i've always felt that it drove a lot of my career Do you feel like this this thing kind of was something that just snapped and and became more than just a trip
2: oh yeah absolutely um you know when that cover hit it really it helped catapult my career um just you know just mostly from people knowing my name as a photographer um yeah, so it, it definitely helped me, like, you know, probably skip a few steps that I normally would have had to take to get to where I am today. Um, right. And just it, in that, you know, yeah. just spending a week in British Columbia.
1: Yeah, and we, I, I see these photos now. I'm looking at the article on peachandsunny.com, and I see these photos, and I'm wearing, like, all this shitty, oh, I don't want to say who made it, uh, <laughs> gear that I would never wear today. And, like, I've learned so much about hunting from this moment. I'm so much more dialed with how I go through hunting at this from 6 years ago that's not it's it's ridiculous it's not even funny um when I look at like what I was wearing and the mannerisms um same with Joe I mean Joe he had a bunch of Sitka gear on but he was a he was a novice hunter when we all met up um mm-hmm. there and now man you know he's one of the better bow hunters that uh I know and so he's come so far in that time and, you know, not to mention his podcast and what he's done with that, <laughs> that, that goes yeah. without saying, that goes without saying, he's yep. become, he's become, you know, a, a sort of a God within the podcasting space and, and you know, such a leader in, in our culture. Um, and so anyway, we should probably get to, I remember, um, showing up there. I think I was the last one to get there if I remember correctly.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I'd actually like to tell, I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd like to talk about my trip up there. <laughs> <laughs> Give it to us. So I, uh, we, we got you and Scoby and I got off the phone and um, basically it was like, you book your own flights and then we'll, you know, like a lot of times book my own flights, get reimbursed at the end. So um, I booked my own flights, but the, the best flight that I could get in there to actually make it on time was I landed late uh, the night before everybody else was getting there. And then nobody else was showing up until the next afternoon. And I was like, oh, that's fine. I'm like flying up there with all my camping gear. I'll fly into the airport crash on the airport floor and then, uh, just wake up, have breakfast in the airport, wait for everybody to roll in. Well, no, they closed the airport at night up there. So, uh, I got off the plane, grabbed all my stuff. I'm walking around looking for a place to set up and sleep. And the security guard goes, um, what you doing? I was like, oh, I'm just looking for a place to sleep. The rest of my uh, group isn't getting here till tomorrow. And he's like, oh, no, we closed the airport. So in true Canadian style, uh, somebody overheard this interaction, and they just offered up to give me a ride into town to where I could book a hotel room. And so I got a ride with some nice family that had just come back from some trip, and they took me into uh, – because where where'd we fly into? Prince George? Yeah, Prince George. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So they gave me a ride into Prince George, and I got a hotel room, and then um, I had to go back out to the airport the next day to wait for uh, the Hawkridge family to pick me up, and then for Rogan to roll in, and then yeah, and then you showed up last.
1: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Just there's so many. Now, even I was just going to Hawkridge's, Mike's website to look. Um, It's a couple things about his outfitting business, so we could get that right. We could tell people about his business. And there on the there on his homepage is is the cover uh, of the <laughs> of that we shot and a quote from Joe Rogan about Mike Hawkridge. So I figure I could probably just read that to you because um, we need to kind of give people who Mike is because he's one of my favorite people in the world. Um, Mike Hawkridge is an outstanding hunter. This is from Joe Rogan. Mike Hawkridge is an outstanding hunter and a man amongst men. He's a rock solid outdoorsman. Has knowledge of the animals he's going after, and the terrain they live in is unparalleled. If there's ever a zombie apocalypse, he's one of the first people I would pick to help form a squad of able-bodied people to help save humanity. When you meet him, <laughs> <laughs> when you meet him, get a good look at him and take it all in, because if the, this ever feminized world <laughs> we're living in, in wait. In this ever-feminized world we're living in, real men like him are the last of a dying breed. I had a fantastic time in camp with him, and I look forward to visiting and hunting with him as many times as I can before I leave this earth. Joe Rogan. And that is legitimately how we all felt after leaving this. I felt the the exact same way um, as as Joe did. And on on Mike's website, it's bigcountryoutfitters.ca. This is his website if you ever want to go take part in one of these badass moose hunts um you'll see the indelible image of joe rogan hawking a big ass uh moose hindquarter over his shoulder <laughs> we'll never <laughs> so we'll get to that um prior to end this story that's probably where we'll end but that's mike Hawkridge is just is is, is a statue of a dude he's got like a stone jaw he lives in you know um, it's a north of Quinnell bridge columbia which is just timber country um as as sam said it's big cut blocks um moose everywhere and it's just it's just a rural place and he, this is a guy who cuts horses who just lives this you know outdoor lifestyle to the fullest man and he's been doing it for over 50 years um and they you know he's he outfits for elk grizzly, mule deer, white deer, black bear, cougar, wolf, lynx, coyote, um, but Canadian moose is, is the thing that I think he's known for, and, and really that, that north-central region of British Columbia is is known for, too.
0: There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on FishingBooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. And you can find what you need in store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at o'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's o'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater.
1: So, what was your first uh, feeling of Mike Cockridge?
0: He's,
2: uh, I mean, he's a mountain of a man. Yeah. Um, like, he's just like from head to toe, like just built like a brick. Um, and, like, but, like, you know, again, like, a true Canadian, like, the nicest human you've ever met. He's but got, yeah, he's got the,
1: he's got, and Joe's the same way, too. He's got an infectious laugh that he just, you just can't get out of your head, man.
2: Mm-hmm. No. Yep. Yeah. But you can tell, you, you know, you could tell he's just a guy you would never want to mess with or piss off. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I think at one time, or was he still, he wasn't still boxing, but he was a boxer at one point. Oh, yeah. And, uh a lot of boxing you know, like, stories. Yeah. And then if if you go back through, you know, his social media pages, you know, there's a picture of Mike carrying out an entire like giant black bear on a frame pack. Um, you know, I don't, you know, 350 pound bear or whatever, just like strapped to a frame pack, um, hauling it out. So he's just one tough guy. And I think, isn't he like on some show now up in canada yeah so he's
1: on uh a show a show i believe i want to say it's on the travel channel discovery channel he called me and told me about this not long ago that he was going to be on a show i'll try to find that we'll look that up and figure what that is but now yeah he's a superstar now um yep (laughs) this is back when he was just mike Cockridge. but he remember he just didn't uh doesn't like to hug <laughs> we would try to hug him. I, I, we ended up like breaking him down eventually, and he, he did allow us to hug him. <laughs> but, but uh, when we first got there, he was like, "I don't hug, like do handshakes." And dude could rip your hand off. He's got baseball mitts for hands. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, and and the way you hunt up there is, as you said before, man, you just get in a truck, you drive from timbered cut block to cut block. There's this vast country. I mean, there's logging roads to every point you could try to get to. And um, for all the reasons we already said, we show up there at probably not the prime time. You know, we're in the, you say post-rut, I'd say we're like post-post-rut. We're like the, the yeah. vestiges of the rut are still hanging around. You may find a bull here or there that might want to come in to, to call, but it's just not the prime time to be up there. We It just happened to start getting really cold when we were there too. We had a bunch of snowy days when we were up there so we just didn't hit it at the right time and i remember being the first time we all got in the truck together we were having we were still having a great conversation but i was just a little bit nervous about how this was all going to play out because i was realizing at at some level how much of a roll of the dice i had made with with my career with this exact (laughs) trip oh oh oh, whoa man sorry sorry whoa yeah,
2: <laughs> my apologies. <laughs> uh,
1: corona, um, yeah, Corona. Hope you don't have it. Anyway, <laughs> but I, I I was realizing how much a roll of dice I had made. I'm like, I don't know this outfitter. Um, we're not here at a great time. The weather's not great. I don't know anything about anything here. I'm I'm just really just hoping that some part of this turns out because um, I need yeah. to get I need to get a cover sh- shot. Um, I need to get, we need to have something happen so I can write a cover story. Um, and we're hoping to kill any moose. We didn't have really have any, we're like, Hey, this is the eat what you kill movement. We're going to shoot any moose week. That's legal. Um, and luckily for us, we could really shoot any, any antlered, uh, moose. So that was good. Yeah. Well, what was your feeling yeah, and, and in the, and
2: the beginning? And I, I don't know if he, I don't know if Mike, you know, he pulled me aside, like, and he was like, so what do, what do you think they're looking for, for the cover photo? And me, like just being, you know, a naive new photographer, like growing up with every hunting cover, you know, being some giant animal. Um, I just assumed that's the, you know, that was the goal. And so <laughs> I think I think I probably made Mike nervous. And I was like, well, I'm assuming that they're looking for some, you know, big ass moose. And uh, yeah, I could see the look on his face, like, oh god, it's like November, you know, like we'll see, if, <laughs> see if we can pull this off. And then a couple days into the trip, you know, I think both you and and Rogan, you know, just expressed like, "Oh, no, no, no! Anything with antlers, like we're gonna we're gonna shoot."
1: Yeah, because so, cause Joe had yeah. just been he had been to the Missouri Breaks with Steve and company to film Meat Eater, and that's the only hunt he'd been mm-hmm. on. And this is this yeah. is not too long after that. Now we're out, and he's just like just learning about these things. And I just remember, and now that I know him better, I know that he's like this with everything. But I just remember him being so excited at every point, at to learn everything. How to, you know, shooting a rifle, his sitka gear that he had on, all this stuff. I mean, he just he just was enamored with everything. And that I had never seen anything like that before. I never experienced somebody that was so into it. Um but now, you know, years later I know him a little bit better and I know he's like that with everything. Um but I just never I'd never known that. So I felt the same energy, like, man, this is this is – this is, there's something going on here, even though through the first days – I like, I don't have any real memories for the first couple of days other than laughing in the truck, talking about psychedelics, talking about, you know, whatever, fear factor stories. Who the hell knows what we talked about? But, you know, two days riding around the truck, getting out, walking on the roads, calling, you know, going on long hikes, three, four-mile hikes. Uh, we did see one bull, I feel like, up in the top of a cut block at all like it would have been impossible to get to um but over the first 3 or 4 days of this hunt we didn't have much action at all i mean there just wasn't no it was real else. slow and then, like then then even though we're having a good time even though all of us together are enjoying ourselves we don't like the anxiety builds for me i'm sure for you like i think this is going to suck if we don't, if we don't even see a moose <laughs> what are we going to do cuz i always had in my mind Uh, an image of the cover I wanted to shoot and it it was very close to what we ended up with but it wasn't a moose quarter I had him like holding a knife in one hand and a backstrap in another hand and it said eat what you kill really big down the side and the nameplate for the the magazine so that's what I had in my mind and I'm like well if we don't kill a moose what am I going to (laughs) do like a ham sandwich (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, it, it It's it, it was a struggle. We got some photos, but it wasn't like there was – it's not a picturesque place compared to some other places you and I have gone together, um, you know. So I'm sure for a young photographer, you're like, shit, man, What am I, what's going to happen?
2: Yeah, no, and it was hard for me, you know, cause because we were riding around the truck so much. Like, you know, I shot about, you know, a third or less of the photos than I typically shoot on a trip like that because what do you take photos of, you know? like like, (laughs) we're just riding around like it's it's there's nothing like exciting like you can shoot a few photos but there's nothing exciting after the first day um and so i just yeah going into it you know and we were talking like well if we didn't kill a moose you know maybe you know rogan would stay longer or you both would stay longer and i had a date that i needed to fly back and it was like oh man like you know what what happens if i not here to actually shoot the cover photo like you know like this is going to be a nightmare so yeah um, and
1: i mean but, i had a I had a moose tag but that to me at that point didn't matter I, like the moose we already covered that i ended up killing wasn't a big deal to me like i was like I because if i you know just to explain a little bit more the pressure that i was under i'm a young you know second in command editor at a magazine i've begged and pleaded for my bosses above above mike scoby to let me try to pull this off they they have There's one individual that just straight up looked me in the eye and said, I'm not paying for you to do that. Like that's – nobody cares about that person. That's just another celebrity guy that you're going to try to put on a cover. That's pandering. Like you should come up with a better idea. And I said, no, you don't understand. This is a good idea. I know it seems like we're just going to take a picture of a a celebrity guy who actually hunts. But it's more than that. Like there's something here. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I remember arguing this and arguing this. And finally getting the green light, but they're like, "Don't spend a lot of time, and don't spend a lot of money." <laughs>
2: and I was
1: like, <laughs> "I was like, oh, all right, thanks for the confidence." I, I, I
2: don't know if I can do that.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I was like, "Well, it's one of those points for me. Like, if I come back with nothing, I'm, I don't know. They might just let me go. They might just be like well you, you had your chance, and you screwed it up.'" <laughs> Who knows? So well, unfortunately, like,
2: that wasn't the case. <laughs> yeah, so
1: so when we get to the point where uh, Joe actually shoots a moose, like, it is the least, oh, man, it's the least climactic killing of an animal I've ever been a part of, maybe. Um,
2: but I would say that's true. <laughs> yeah,
1: like the actual mechanics of what happened, the details are the least exciting thing I could describe. But where we all were, the anxiety that I felt, that Joe felt, that you felt, I'm sure Mike felt it too, how such a good time we were having all together. Like we really wanted it for Joe. Everybody really, really, really wanted this for Joe. And we also really wanted to do our jobs, all four of us. Um, the it, I mean, we could tell the story in five seconds. We're, we're driving down this, we go through a cut and into kind of a timbered area well, that's on the way back to, to the little camp that we're staying at, the little house we're staying at. We kind of break into the timber from this cut block. And we're going down the road. I think I almost remember that we were laughing about some sort of psychedelic adventure that Joe had. or We were laughing about <laughs> something. We were laughing, doing what we were doing the whole trip, kind of laughing and bullshitting. And... Mike Harker slams the brakes on this truck, and the truck is this old, shitty, <laughs> I don't even remember, like Ford something or other. It's not a, it, it's like it creaks to a halt. It's like yeah. creaks to a halt. Slams, he goes, there's a bull. We look out the left side of the window, and there's a bull, but it's a forker. It's like a year a year and a half year old forker moose. It's essentially uh, the youngest moose we probably could have shot, and could have shot, Um And I remember, I'm in the back at this point, or no, I'm in the front seat, and I'm trying to get out, and I can't. Before I do anything, I hear Mike say, like, you want to shoot one? You want to shoot that one? And Joe's out of the truck with his rifle before.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think, uh, I don't know if you remember this, but Mike goes, he goes, there's a bull, and we all start looking, and and he goes, it's not very big, and Rogan goes, I don't give a shit. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, you know, because we were there to, you know, we were there to shoot a bull, and, uh, like you, yeah, like you said, like the next step, we were just out of the truck and, uh, like, like it was done. <laughs> it was over. <laughs> but continue.
1: Yeah, it was yeah. over. Uh, no, I want to, yeah. I don't want to tell the whole story, like whole story myself. But yeah, I mean, it was, I, my, from my perspective, I roll around the, the back of the truck. And I, by that time, Mike's already pointing in the tent. I mean, this thing's like 75 yards away, right? I mean, it wasn't far mm-hmm. away. Yeah. Standing no, there looking at yeah, us right like, there. what are you doing? <laughs> yep. And, and we're just off the road we're like down the road a bit into the into the woods but we're still I mean you could still throw a rock at the truck and hit it every time um, We're down the, down into the into the timber a little bit and Mike's pointing at this bull Joe is is trying to get a scope on he's probably had to dial <laughs> dial his his uh, power back to get a freaking field of view where he could see this thing finally sees it and by the time I get to his side and I, I think you're there trying to snap some photos of this. He just shoots and the thing fall and he just drops it immediately. And this all had gone down in I don't know thirty seconds. I don't have a
2: minute. Yeah, if that.
1: Yeah, So
2: <laughs> yeah. I, I did. I, I didn't even. I don't think I even got my camera turned on by the time the thing was dead. No, it was he, like uh, from he, the time he, he, said he it, shoots it, he turns to me and goes, "Did you get that on film?" I was like, "No, man. I <laughs> I barely even had my camera out."
1: <laughs> and then. Like the thing falls over immediately. And, you know, Mike Hawkins being just kind of like this stone jawed, you know, just very really serious guy, he, I remember he'd be the first one to kind of like scream out, like, yeah. And then <laughs> Rogan and I, like, he makes his rifle safe. We made sure of that. And then immediately it was like we won the Super Bowl. I would never, oh, yeah. We were just running around like some barbaric yelps in there. Like, it, it just, it just was unbelievable like what's your memories of that thing
2: yeah no it was it was just like that moose dropped and it was just high fives and hugs and just like the like everyone was just a little kid again like (laughs) the excitement that rogan had had the entire trip like for him like being such a new hunter like everybody was had that going
1: yeah yeah the whole thing man um I'm trying to find yeah okay I got just the part I'll read you guys kind of what I wrote in the article um of the article for Petersons Rogan's posture stiffened his eyes locked on his target I watched him make the mental decision to squeeze in a split second and he was shooting a 300 rum at this thing <laughs> They're like 300 way <laughs> <back. laughs> yep <laughs> it's like diminutive moose sort of for, for, for moose for for all bull moose in the world his 300 windbag rocked the timber with a familiar roar and things went silent. The bull crumbled at 75 yards. Just then, as Rogan let loose the primal celebration, things seemed to slow down. I think I realized why we both made the trip. Honey had somehow been changed. Its purpose had morphed. We weren't chasing a trophy and there was no singular joy in the grip and grin photos. The byproduct of this badass eat what you kill movement or this badass adventure was the meat. And it was the perfect moment for the eat what you kill movement. After things calmed down, I sat with Joe on a freshly downed tree, its bark still ripe and wet. The moose that lay in front of us was no great trophy. He would make no record book. He would not look right on the cover of this magazine. The final moments of the hunt would seem anticlimactic to most, but we'd never felt happier or celebrated harder. The transformative properties of becoming a full-fledged, eat-what-you-kill convert had taken hold. Our thoughts now turned to the most important outcome. Rogan had already had his knife in hand. Let's cut him up and eat him, he said, turning to me with a determined glare. It's time to get to work. And work we did. Hours spent gutting, skinning, quartering, and hauling meat were done with pleasure. All a part of the honesty of our efforts. The next day, I tagged a bull of my own. The celebration mirrored the previous day. I had never been happier to be a part of a hunting crew. That night, we dined on the aforementioned organs. Rogan manned the grill, doling out slices of moose heart. We partied hard. I've hunted all my life putting wild meat on the table for as long as I can remember. With this new perspective, this departure from the norm had an impenetrable logic. Kill what you eat, eat what you kill. No matter how you phrase it, it's a game changer. Just ask Joe Rogan. That's the end of the story I wrote. That's not too bad. You know, you write things and you look back on it you're like, oh, fuck, how lame are you? (laughs) <laughs> like, it could be worse. I thought that sounded pretty good. Yeah, man. You know, it could be worse. I, I read a lot of stories I wrote at this time. I'm like, holy hell, learn how to calm down a little bit, O'Brien. <laughs> um, but yeah, but like all that is kind of true to how I remember it. Man, I felt. I know we filmed a little video, Joe and I talking. You filmed us talking, kind of about the experience, and and it yep. was just weird. The thing that happened in the end was the the least. You know, kind of like the least celebratory type of kill, but the most celebration of the kill, which is really kind of what we were going for, anyway. At least what I envision. Yeah, for sure. Um, And so we got back. You know, we got back to camp with our moose. We had to pack it out all of a hundred yards. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) It was easy. A hundred yard pack out. We get back, and now we've got this moose, and we've got to uh, shoot a cover with it. And I'll let you take it from I'll let you try to take it from work, is it, cause that Joe, I would just say this: Joe was was didn't want to do the cover shoot because I hadn't shot a moose and we only had a certain amount of time left. So he was a little yeah, aggravated that no. we were wasting time.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I mean like, aggravated is is a uh, a good you know not even a good enough word for it. Like he was just pissed off that we were having to use any time when somebody still had a tag in camp. Yes, and so like he was like, like we had to be, we were out there kind of got the photo all set up. So like, I've got photos of, you know, Mike kind of like standing in place, like holding the stuff. And like, like, you know, we moved a whole bunch of boards, like to do a different backdrop against this barn. Like, you know, we were trying to, trying to come up with some different stuff. And, uh, um, yeah. So like you were like I got photos of you standing in place and Mike standing in place. And then obviously Robin out here and I've got photos of him, uh, um, you know, standing with the back strap and the knife, like you said, like kind of what was the vision in your head. And, uh, and then eventually, you know, the photo that we went with against kind of like a, a much like lighter background on the top of that little Hill. Um, but no, I mean, like, and I have a video too of it. Um, like us kind of like having the, the, uh, shot all prepped and, uh, There's uh, some Luke Bryan playing in the background, and (laughs) that was a big part of the trip too. I remember that was a big part of the trip. Um, But no, there's uh, yeah, there's video like that songs playing, and uh, both you and Rogan are dancing at one point. So you know, we we had a pretty good time. Um, (laughs) But 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 no, it was you know, like I'd like to see that video on me because it was my first cover photo, and so. I was just, you know, trying to figure out like, okay, what, you know, how to shoot this, how to frame this. And looking back on it, like I definitely would have done things differently, like knowing that what I know now, um, but just happy that it did turn out the way it did.
1: Yeah. I mean it, you know, the, what, the vision in my head, we had to put all, we took all these boards from where that was behind a barn, put it, put them in a backstrap where Joe was going to stand with a knife and a backstrap. And that was the idea. Um, he was just going to be kind of standing there and it wasn't, don't smile and shit. Just, just stand there. And I remember we were taking him. I'm like, that just doesn't, I don't think that's going to work, man. Like it Mm -hmm. could, it might, but I just don't feel like let's, we got to try something else. I don't know. I remember who had the idea for him to just be holding the moose quarter. Who knows? But at the point, I remember the, at the point where we were, we were doing the, the shoot at the top of that little hill with the actual photo we ended up using, I remember Joe like telling Hawkridge, go get the truck and get it ready. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> yep. I don't was, I don't he want was to was over it. <laughs> he was over it. He's like, We got it, whatever, we don't got it. I don't care. Ben needs to shoot a moose. Just to the type of person he is. He wasn't doing that because he didn't want to do it. He was doing it because it was no, foolish right. yeah. not to be hunting while we had time for hunting. Uh he thought yep. that was silly. And yep. so you got a pissed off subject, you got me trying to figure out like, what is this even going to be? And I don't know how many photos, how many photos did you take of, of the shot where it ended up? I mean, you can describe kind of what it looks like too, for folks that haven't seen.
2: Yeah. So, so basically like we, um, we kind of moved over into this little pasture area, just this short grass and I got real low and then had Rogan stand kind of on the top of this hill. And so it's got, you know, a nice like white background behind him in the quarter and just the short grass in the foreground, just a lot of room for all the words and everything that needed to go on the cover. And then, uh, you know, I think I shot, it wasn't nearly as many as it was in front of the, in front of the other like ideas that we had. So, you know, I probably only took, Oh, it's like 25 shots in that location.
1: Yeah. For a cover (laughs) shoot, like 25 shots, we probably shot a 500 in the other location Uh, that we set up. Absolutely. And so we, yeah, so we just took this as like a last-ditch effort and like throw that moose cord over your shoulder and let's see what we get. And um, we mocked up all the photos and I remember seeing this and seeing Eat What You Kill really big down the left side of the page and seeing Joe just kind of like... he I think his face is like that because he's pissed. He wants to go hunting. <laughs> but, uh, <Yep. laughs> but at the end of the photo, it just looks like, I mean... I remember all the commentary afterwards, like somehow we had described like we had designed it this way. He's wearing a first light top and sick of bottoms. I remember getting mm-hmm. so many comments from people like, Thank gosh you did that, you know, uh, trying to go against the sponsor. I was like, No, that's just what he was wearing. I didn't we just didn't tell him what to wear,
2: you know. Yeah, we didn't we didn't plan that.
1: <laughs> no, we just he just was wearing that. And he would have punched us in the face had we tried to make a wardrobe change at any point. <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah, man, and I don't know. We just said pick that up and see what it looks like, and yep. you know, after all said and done, that's the cover of the April May, two thousand and what fifteen cover yep. of Peterson Hunting. Yep. Um, and certainly, I'll I'll share that. We've all shared it a million times. Every time we share it, it just gets people just go nuts because it is.
2: Yeah, it seems like it blows up more every year. I think it's coming right up. It's typically, um, I think towards the end of March. Yeah. It's like our yearly,
1: our yearly thing where we look back on this and share it to everybody. Like, remember this? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Remember this? This Because it really is, man. I couldn't, you know, the, the best way to start like this, these THC daily quarantine podcasts for me, I was like, man, I just want to tell stories. I've done so many cool things outside of my life. And sometimes on the show, on our regular show, um, we get into controversial topics or controversial guests and, and other silly jokes and stuff. and, and, too often forget about hunting stories man and what they mean to our lives and kind of where not not only the hunt in this case because obviously after we as soon as we were done shooting these photos joe had us in the truck and then the story we told at the beginning of the podcast happened i mean literally we we were fresh off the photo shoot
2: yeah it was like hang the quarterback up get in the truck we were out like and then we were back with yours
1: (laughs) an hour and 20 minutes we were back with mine
2: the other people that were still back at camp, like when we came rolling back in, they were like, oh, what'd you forget?
1: <laughs> we got a moose!
2: And, uh... <laughs> so yep. yeah,
1: and all the all drunkenness and crazy stuff afterwards. But you know, hunting stories being how they are, not only is this a hunting story about a moose, but like there's so much about this, as we were saying before, that just, I don't know, so so much serendipity. There's so much um, f- like transformative things that happened there. People I met, I met you, We've become good friends. We've adventured all over the world together. Joe, I met Joe. We've become good friends and, and gone all over the place and hunted together. Um, and through Joe, I've met so many people. Um, I just couldn't, couldn't imagine this not have happened in my life or where I'd be if it did, if this hunt just got canceled the day before or something.
2: Yeah, no, it's, you know, it's really hard to know kind of where I'd be at without, you know, being given the opportunity to go up there and, you know, shoot that photo. Um Like we said earlier in the podcast, I think it was just a, a, you know, for, for all of us kind of just a, a big stepping stone in the, you know, in this world of hunting and cooking and, you know, everything that we're up to.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I I will say that, um, one thing that I remember about this, people always ask about, you know, you and I both have hunted with some really, you know, notable individuals, right? People that Mm -hmm. a lot of people, uh, admire, and after this was all over, uh, Mike Hawkeridge is another person I admire He doesn't have to be a celebrity. he and his wife drove Rogan's meat down to LA from British Columbia. that's no short drive because um, you couldn't couldn't get, we couldn't we didn't have time to really get it all on the plane and it was all a huge thing. Uh, they drove his meat down to LA, which was a huge task to do just to mm-hmm. drop, drop his meat off from his moose. And then, you know, a couple of weeks after the hunt, I get a call from Joe and he's like, Hey, how much does a hunt like that cost? I said, well, you know, for us, it's Mike just, you know, it was nothing for the publicity. Like he was doing it. Um, so he could get, you know, some notoriety for his business around the magazine. That's, you know, that's yep. not, that's not uncommon in our industry. Um, And Joe said, well, yeah, that's fine, whatever, I don't care, but how much would – if I was going to pay for a moose something like this, how much would it be? And I told him it wasn't – it's not cheap, you know, thousands of dollars, many thousands of dollars. And I told him, I was like, all right, I look it up, and I texted it to him, and then I get a call maybe a week or two later after that from Mike Cockridge. He's like, man, I just got a check from Joe for, you know, whatever, nine grand. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, I got a check from Joe. Um, And a little note in it just said, you know – you earned this best hunt of my life or something like that. I can't remember exactly what it said, but that just goes to show the kind of dude we're dealing with here um with Joe Rogan so people that ask like what kind of guy is he um that's it that's what it is yeah
2: just this straight stand up guy
1: and Mike Hawkins is the same exact damn way <laughs> and and so it's just a good example of like even though there was cover shoots and all this other stuff that surrounded this. this is just a good time with some really great people. And that's how I, I remember it, but, but it's, it, it became more than that in the years, the years after. So anyway, yeah, it's, it's, it's still one of my
2: favorite hunting trips of all time.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, uh, let's go back. <laughs> like, let's go.
2: I'd love to go back.
1: Uh, we're all way busier than we probably were then. At least we, we think mm-hmm. so, at least this point, but I'd love to go back up there and just, even though, you know, I'd love to go to the Yukon and kill a moose. I would love to go, um, other places, Alaska, whatever. There's something about like that—that that, this experience exactly. Doing it again would be great.
2: Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Awesome, man! We'll make it happen. Reunion tour.
1: Reunion tour. 2021, <laughs> maybe. All no, right. Yeah, po- sure. Post quarantine reunion tour. Mm-hmm. That's right. No, I love yeah, it. Yeah,
2: post quarantine.
1: Post quarantine. <laughs> All right, brother. Well, I really appreciate it, man. spending some time with him. I, I didn't know how long these th- these stories would go, but this one was. Uh, it needed the time. <laughs> it needed the yeah, time to be this told. This is a good one. It's a good this one. This is a good one. So this is the first ever THC Quarantine Daily, and we're gonna be back tomorrow with another great guest. I got a bunch of people in the hopper. Um, here we got Remy Warren. Hopefully, uh, I shot a couple of texts around to guys like Cam Haynes and Steve Renella. And uh, old Cal Ryan Callahan's gonna be in here. We're gonna have Mark Kenyon in here talking. So we're gonna tell stories. We have a good time. We got some more contests. We're going to announce next next uh, episode. Some other fun stuff. Some some really interesting um, stories. All the way from Bulgaria to uh, Dominican Republic to New Zealand. A bunch of places we're gonna discover. Until this goddamn quarantine is over, I'm gonna be in this room ripping out hunting stories with with folks like Sam and many others. So please stick around with us. We'll see you tomorrow morning. Peace. The Hunting Collective with Ben O'Brien is a part of the Meat Eater Podcast Network. It is produced by Corinne Schneider and engineered by Phil Taylor. You can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, TheMeatEater.com, or anywhere podcasts are downloadable. Wherever you listen, leave a five-star review and subscribe.
0: Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. Hey guys, turkey season is in full swing right now, and if you are planning on getting after it, make sure to pick up some meat eater Phelps turkey calls to stuff into the old turkey vest or into your fanny pack right now. I carry a few different things. I like to use mouth calls and I like to use pot calls. Mouth calls or diaphragms, I like them because it gives you hand-free calling, meaning when you're working a bird up close. You can have your gun on your knee, finger on the trigger, ready to roll, and still be making turkey sounds. I like pot calls I just like pot calls. I enjoy calling with a pot call. Whatever direction you go, including a box call, which I don't personally use too much, but they're fun and great, and I started out with them. Yanni, on the other hand, one of my main turkey hunting buddies, he loves box calls. And what's funny is I'll now and then look to him, and give them the look that means get out your box call and find us a turkey. So it's not that I don't like them. i just have Yanni use his, then I'll have to carry it. Go to Phelps Game Calls. Get calls that are made in the USA and get calls that will get them close. Find yours at phelpsgamecalls.com today.